Benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy. Welcome back, everyone, to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. My name is Kimberly Holcomb, and I am here with Tommaso. Yes. Ciao, Belladonna. Ciao, uomo. Uomo amore mio. All right. You know what? Shall we just dive straight into this episode? Because I'm excited. Let's go. All right. This episode is sponsored by the Grand Hotel Ed de Milan, which is one of the city's most well-known and respected hotels. The Grand Hotel is so rich in history, due partly, in fact, to its location right down the street from La Scala Opera House. Yet it wasn't only famous composers that slept in these rooms, but also world leaders, an emperor or two, playwrights, actors, and writers, the likes of Ernest Hemingway, and of course, opera singers, including Enrico Caruso, whose voice you just heard in the beginning of this episode. The great Italian tenor, Enrico Caruso, the greatest tenor of his time. A lot of people think the greatest tenor ever, but what's really important about this is what you heard there was the first ever remote recording in the world of voice. And it was recorded in Suite 306 at the Grand Hotel. Incredible. So we've come full circle. Let me explain. I think that this is one of the more interesting episodes of our episodes in terms of the history of audio, how it was recorded and delivered, its obvious ties to the Grand Hotel, and frankly, it revolutionized the way the world listens to music and spoken word. But let me get back to the history to define what happened here. It would only be fitting that the first recording would be Caruso because, like we said a couple times, he was the greatest tenor of his time. He was a national treasure in Italy. And his first recordings were arranged by a recording pioneer named Fred Gainsbourg, who worked for the Gramophone Company in London. And he moved there in 1898 to set up the first disc recording studio in Europe. Nothing was in Europe before, only in America. RCA Victor, remember that little yes. dog with the gramophone? <laughs> and Mr. Gainsbourg was sent to Milano to record Caruso. He traveled with six crates of gear. Crates, wow. not bags, not suitcases, <laughs> crates, right? And in contrast, we were in Europe with a small backpack that my recording gear filled barely half of it. Right. But Caruso was a bit finicky, and when it came to the money, he wanted a fee of 100 English pounds to record these songs. And that's about today's equivalent of 16,000 pounds or $19,000. And Fred Gainsbourg, who was sent over there by the London Gramophone Company to record him, he had to pay him out of his own pocket because the higher-ups at Gramophone London said the fee was exorbitant. (laughs) So he recorded Caruso in three separate sessions in Milan during April, November, and December in 1902. And as for that exorbitant fee that Mr. Gainberg's ponied up to Caruso, due to his foresight, the company went on to make 2.5 million pounds or almost $3 million for those recordings. $3 million way back in 1902 was a lot of money. As a matter of fact, that is worth, how much would that be today, dear? Don't ask me anything with numbers. I don't know. (laughs) Over $103 million. Dio mio. Right? So I wonder if Fred got a Christmas bonus or if they took him around to the pub for a pint. Anyway, Fred Gainsbourg eventually designed the studios at Abbey Road in London. And of course, those were made 
world famous by the Beatles. So between Caruso and Fred Gainsbourg at the Grand Hotel, this changed the course of history on how we listen to music and the spoken word. And I think we recorded the first podcast ever at the Grand Hotel. And the management certainly didn't tell us we were wrong or you're the fourth one He didn't tell us otherwise. We didn't ask. (laughs) We're just going to own it right now. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we contributed to the history of the Grand Hotel A de Milano because that history is pretty incredible. And about 132 years after it was built, an American fashion photographer entered this distinguished hotel for her first time and was instantly enamored. And yes, that photographer was me. Having grown up in the middle of America, which is a very young country, I had never been in a building this old or this grand, and I was completely hooked. At the time, I was shooting fashion shows for various publications, and one night after a particular show, I was invited to dinner with the crew and a few models. That was my very first time in the hotel and my first evening in Don Carlos Restaurant. The second I walked into that intimate space with the wood-framed prints covering just about every inch of the walls, those elegant table settings, those small sconces on all the wood panels, I just thought, how lucky am I to be in this remarkable place? Pinch thyself. Right? Tommaso saw this restaurant as well. Yes. uh, Beautiful. So fast forward... To the beginning of this year, Tommaso and I were guests of the hotel, which is celebrating its 160th year. As I mentioned, the Grand Hotel is steeped in history. And just a few years after its opening in 1863, Italy's most illustrious composer, Giuseppe Verde, chose the hotel as his residence and lived there until his death in 1901. What a shame, right? One year before that recording happened. Mm. Tommaso and I were fortunate enough to be shown his suite, Verde Suite, by one of the hotel directors, Laura, who so generously gave us a tour of the entire hotel. She showed us several rooms and suites, which were all stately and filled with period antiques. But Verde Suite was absolutely incredible. Very, very regal. It has the same furnishings from when he lived there, including the gold-gilded mirrors and side tables, floor-to-ceiling luxurious drapes, and the desk where he composed his pieces. Laura let us touch it. You touched it on top, on the glass top. I touched it on the drawer, I was, wood drawer. I, I was hoping for a little transference of creative genius. <laughs> it was a goosebump moment for sure. And anyone can reserve and stay in the Verde suite. So imagine the thrill to sleep there, sit at his desk and think about all that was created in that stunning space. And to be honest, Tommaso and I were in complete awe as well because you're simultaneously taking it all in visually, but also thinking of the history at the same time. How rich it is. Yes. Verde himself was so loved by Italians and especially the Milanese that when he was ailing toward the end of his life, the locals asked the hotel's director to post notices in the lobby about his health. In his final days, Via Manzoni, the street which the Grand Hotel is on, was covered with straw, inches thick covered with straw so that the maestro would not be disturbed by the noise of horse carriages. 
I find that just awesome. Yes. As I mentioned previously, there were so many opera singers and musicians, composers and directors that spent time at the Grand Hotel, including one of the world's most famous opera singers, Maria Callas. She sang La Traviata at La Scala, and during her tenure, it was directed by Lucchino Visconti, who was also a guest of the hotel for years. So, speaking of coming full circle, as you said, Tommaso, Verdi composed La Traviata, Visconti directed it, and Callas sang it years and years after his death. And what do they all have in common? The Grand Hotel. The Grand Hotel. Rudolf Nureyev, the Russian ballet star, was yet another guest who stayed for long periods of time. Most notably, he stayed with the English ballerina Margot Fontaine while they were there performing a film adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. There are so many more acclaimed people from all walks of life that have stayed in this historic hotel, and every guest can read about it in a lovely book that the hotel gives to their guests. It has copies of handwritten notes on the hotel's stationery from Verde, Maria Callas, and others, as well as descriptions of each suite's most famous guest. As we mentioned, Caruso was suite 306, Verde, suite 105. My favorite story from this book details a lover's quarrel in the hotel bar, which is a very elegant, one-of-a-kind type bar. And legend has it that Renato Gutoso, an artist, and his muse, a woman named Marta Marzotto, got into quite the spat. It was broken up by two friends before it turned into like a full-on brawl. And the hotel director at the time decided to lock them in to Verde's suite. The muse Marta later wrote, which is printed in this book, quote, maybe because of the aura emanated by that space, I lived a magnificent moment, probably one of the most beautiful of my life. Isn't that funny? A lover's spat turned in... A brawl... (laughs) Not a spat. We have a spat over coffee in the morning. They had a brawl. We do not. I'm only kidding, but... (laughs) Anyway, I love that story. So back to the hotel itself, current day. Tommaso and I can attest to the beauty and the atmosphere that you see and feel while walking around the hotel. The lobby is large with elegant yet comfortable furnishings and, you know, a few strategically placed mature palms rich colored fabrics, all marble floors throughout. So it all combines for a very refined and welcoming atmosphere. It's very warm. We had a beautiful room that was very large with a seating area and desks to work on. And it was incredibly quiet considering it's right on Via Manzoni, which is a very major road. We literally could not hear a thing due to most likely the thick stone exterior of this old building and clearly very well-made windows. The bathroom also, oh, Dio mio, was so luxurious, a complete dream with amazing water pressure in that large, beautiful marble shower. It was a joy. I could hardly get myself out of it. (laughs) (laughs) And there was also a bottle of Prosecco and a very kind note left from another director, Stefano. I have yet to meet him in person, but he was so generous to leave us this treat. A side story here is that Stefano and I developed an email friendship during COVID. 
I had to cancel a stay for clients of mine because of Italy's lockdown. So he and I started emailing regarding that. And then it just carried on throughout all of COVID. And we just never stopped. Is there something I should know about? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Another aspect that Tommaso and I couldn't help but notice is the professionalism of everyone we met that works there. The director, Laura, that I mentioned earlier, introduced us to the general manager, Andrea. He could not have been nicer. He was friendly and funny and so happy to share everything about the hotel. He is the one, actually, that let us see the suite 306 that Caruso recorded in. And of course, it's not just because we have a podcast, but to think that that recording took place in that room and how it changed the world of music forever. I just... Yeah, I mean, everyone knows we love history. We're obviously into audio and recording. And to be there at that time was just very, very special. It was. There was also a bartender, Alessandro, I met that night. He was also engaging and sweet. I actually even took a photo of him with a bourbon Manhattan he made for a guest, which is my dad's favorite drink. So that was the premise for me taking the photo. But Alessandro is in the background smiling and so happy. So I shared the photo with him. And the bar, this bar itself is so handsome. Very old school, classic environment. There's this large glass ceiling with very delicate ironwork design in it. Similar luxurious drapes as in the Verde suite. Just one of those rooms that you're so thrilled to enter. It's kind of like when we walked into that bar in Copenhagen. Yes. Like, oh, it's what a treat. You just feel it's historic. Now, if you're wondering why I was in the bar myself, I have to share what happened. As Tommaso mentioned earlier, we recorded a podcast episode, number 78 to be exact, in our room that afternoon that we got there. However, Tommaso had caught a cold in Bologna and it was seemed to be getting worse. So while he was setting up the recording equipment that he pulled out of his backpack. <laughs> Wallet size compared to what? Right. Caruso's crew had. Yeah, exactly. I went across the street to the Farmacia. It was a teeny yet beautiful pharmacia, but several people were waiting to speak to the pharmacist. So I figured, oh, I can read Italian. I'll find what I think will help Tommaso's cold. And I bought it and brought it back to the hotel. He took two pills and then we started recording. Right as we finished, I noticed Tommaso's eyes looking somewhat heavy and he he just looked groggy. So (laughs) I thought, oh, Dio mio. So I looked at the box of the pills I bought him and there were two kinds. Both daytime and nighttime. Yes. <laughs> Oops. I, I got a couple of the nighttime ones. I'm only supposed to take one. My fault completely. So there you have it. And that is why I went to the bar myself. He could not stay awake. And I also had to cancel our dinner reservations at Don Carlos restaurant, which I mentioned earlier. And that was such a disappointment. But I went myself and told the entire story to the maitre d' and to be honest, I'm sorry, Tommaso, but we both laughed. <laughs> That's fine. I was I was in that beautiful bed. <laughs> That's true. It's probably the most beautiful. It was very nap was very, of your it was life. Very comfortable. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I just have this pet peeve about eating alone. Another weird quirk of mine. So as sad as it was to miss dining in that beautiful space, I know that we will be back, and we'll just have to wait until the next time, until the next visit.
However, after my aperitivo hour at the bar with Alessandro, I went back upstairs and ordered room service for us. And naturally, Tommaso kind of woke up with that and we had a pasta. Truly delicious. It was a simple red sauce that had a little bit of a kick to it, I believe. Mm -hmm. Over a linguine with a bit of, I think it was like a warmed burrata, a few basil leaves, e basta. Delicioso. It was was wonderful. It was. (laughs) And we had that Prosecco that Stefano had left us. It was a lovely night. The next morning, we were back in culinary heaven at breakfast. An incredible array of fruits and pastries, eggs, all kinds of cheeses, cured meats, and plus the display. It spread out over this large two-tiered area. It was stunning. And the wait staff were also very friendly. Remember those gentlemen? One of them actually asked us if we'd like a second cappuccino. And that is a first. <laughs> and naturally, we said, see. Can I throw in one thing about the rooms? Yes. As a person who carries a small shoehorn around with them. Oh, yes. All right. When we walked in to our room and put our clothes in the wardrobe, there was a clothes brush, a beautiful clothes brush for brushing off your woolen clothes or whatever, and a shoehorn. Mm. And I carry that shoehorn around in my backpack because very few places offer a shoehorn. If you have nice shoes and you don't want to ruin the back of the counter, you need a shoehorn. That wardrobe itself was stunning and it had the most beautiful hangers in it. Everything about that. It's all in the details. When I saw that, I knew I was in fashion heaven. Yes. In Milano. Right. Well, it is located, I failed to mention this, right in Milano's high designer fashion shopping area via Monte Napoleone, Fiorichiari, all of those lovely streets, a grid of shopping nirvana. Allora, for all you listeners around the world, if you're going to Milano anytime in the, in the next 160 years, I highly suggest you stay at the Grand Hotel Ed de Milan. If it's not in your budget, then at least treat yourself to a glass of wine at the bar with Alessandro or have dinner at Don Carlos and think of all the gifted people that graced this storied establishment before you. Our next episode will continue with the rest of our stay in Milano, my home from so many years ago and one that I will always love. And to end here, we'll give you another 15 seconds of the magnificent Italian tenor Caruso. Bravo. Ciao, ciao. Grazie, ciao, ciao.